Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome in. This is the Thursday deep dive episode, and we are recording on election day. So, do you guys all put in your um, hedging trades? I, on, yeah, uh, liquidated entirely. Yeah. You never know what's right? going to happen. So, <laughs> it's better to be in cash. But no, and Ian, we, uh, I guess we're joking, but we're all uh, like, you know, you never want to trade on an election. Um, <laughs> historically. Yeah, not the, bet, not the type of bet I like to make for sure. Yeah, that's not how we do it here. But today we're talking about uh, a SPAC. And it is F E A C, and they're merging with a company called Skills. So Ryan, you want to give the long intro since it's kind of a weird merger. They're right going through here. Uh, so the company is Flying Eagle Acquisition Corp. It's a blank check company whose purpose is to create a merger. So they are a SPAC. Um, but I've heard the word SPAC a lot, and I didn't totally know how it works. So I did a little digging. And for anyone that doesn't know, I'm gonna basically give you the top level or sorry not top level the basics of how a SPAC works uh SPACs are generally formed by investors or sponsors so in this case it's Eagle Equity Partners with the intention of acquiring a private company company they typically have a company in mind uh but don't disclose who it is because if they do disclose who it is when they go public it's a whole bunch of different uh like disclosures they have to put in their documents so they just keep it private um And then they offer shares to the public of essentially this empty company. If you go look at the balance sheet of any SPAC, it's just a bunch of cash. Um, And with the money they raise from the IPO, the SPAC places that money in an interest-bearing trust account. They can only take those funds out to make an acquisition or return the money to shareholders. So so once they get the funds, they have two years since the offering uh, to make an acquisition. And then Flying Eagle has $691 million in cash investments in their trust account. And the buzz about Flying Eagle is that they announced they'll be using their funds to acquire mobile gaming platform skills. Uh, so they will change their ticker and list on one of the major exchanges once the merger goes through. A little bit about the history. Well, I'll talk skills and that'll talk the history. Uh, Skills is a mobile multiplayer gaming platform that allows users to compete globally for either real cash or skills virtual currency. So from what I understand, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, skills doesn't make games itself. It's a platform that goes into existing games. So they partner with like mobile solitaire or mobile billiards games and allow the players that are using it to compete for money. That is that right? That is correct. Yeah, I think one way I was thinking about it, just to throw one more thing on there, is like Shopify is to e-commerce, Skills is to mobile mobile games. Okay, maybe maybe even more like a Stripe, wouldn't it be? Yeah, or a merger. It's kind of it's kind of something in between there. It's giving the it's becoming a um a platform or not a platform, but what's the word for it? A uh, marketplace. A marketplace kind of to it's given them the software capabilities to monetize their games okay yeah, yeah. and skills was founded in boston in 2012 by andrew paradise and Ch- casey chafkin however they moved their headquarters to san francisco shortly after in 2013 i assume that was for the developers yeah i, I know guess. boston's like the second biggest tech hub but it's right next to it doesn't really matter anyway uh in 2013 they launched the first ever cash prize competition for mobile video games 
The hardest part about launching, according to Andrew Paradise, the CEO, was understanding the laws around it. So the focus for skills was that this was uh, skill-based and not chance-based because cash competitions for skill-based games are legal in 46 states. And then 10 of those states have basically their own caveats to that. But they are not all, obviously, not all chance-based gambling is legal. So the, the difference between a skill-based game and a chance-based game is that in a skill-based game, the skilled player would beat an unskilled player 75% of the time. I don't know how they prove that. I don't know if they just like match up really good players against terrible players and like, all right, go for it. But that's basically how it works. Interesting note, skills requires their developers to play mobile video games at work. I believe that's you have good. to get like 35 games in per week. That's good, I guess. A little yeah, strange. In but... touch with the uh, consumer, right? Yeah. All right. Do you yeah, wanna... you got to use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to hit on the industry? Yeah. So I'll talk about the industry a little bit of their competition. They're part of the gaming industry, which we all know is giant. And they have companies you know, like Microsoft, Sony, Epic, Activision, Nintendo, et cetera, et cetera. There's a few dozen of them. Um, however, skills is operating in a smaller niche, you know, the cash prize competitions for mobile games. And these companies do not really directly compete with them. I wouldn't say they have any direct competitors that are public. And there's a few that are private that I think have about in between one and $40 million raised. So skills is the leader by far, at least by, you know, per dollars raised and likely with revenue. Uh, there's estimated about $1.6 billion flowing through its competitions of 2020. Um, and it's really building out its own market opportunity. Yeah, there's been iGaming before. Yeah, there's been sports betting and things like that before. Uh, but this is kind of different. It's like a slightly adjacent to that. Um, if we look at any adjacent competitors, Roblox might be similar. That's something they could probably step into because they're a different world. They're kind of like providing the platform for gamers to build things. That's something they could probably add to the Roblox platform yeah. uh, very easily. Unity could probably do something as well since the engines um, that they work with and the monetizable um, abilities with ads um, is very similar. It's something they could do as well with their user base and their developers. Um, Unicorn with uh, no, with spelled with a K and no O classic Silicon Valley name. Such a Silicon Valley um, name. They have $40 million in funding with a similar idea and they're the biggest competitor, although not nearly as big as skill. So really no, um, that it's not a monopoly because they're still building out an entire market, but there's no big competitors at all. Apparently Sony and Amazon have tried to compete with them in the past. So they quit. I think that's a good indicator. And then the industry as a whole, uh, mobile gaming is giant. I think it's supposed to grow to over a hundred billion dollars in 2025. And it is growing currently at a 20% CAGR uh, compound annual growth rate. So really good tailwinds for them. Ian, what do you have? Yeah, so we'll dive into the management and ownership. So the CEO of the SPAC is Harry Sloan. Um, the founding investor and chairman is Jeff Sagansky. Um, that team was also the founder and initial shareholder of Diamond Eagle acquisition, which took DraftKings public earlier this year. So they have some experience doing these SPACs and having successful mergers and um, seeing it through to fruition. Uh, the management team of skills is going to take over running the public company once it's um, once the merger goes through. And so the CEO of skills is Andrew paradise. He, along with the chief revenue officer and other co-founder Casey Chafkin will continue to lead the company. Um, one thing that a quote that I found from Andrew paradise that I thought was really interesting is he says, 
Skills provides a platform to turn any mobile game on iOS and Android into one you can play with friends or strangers for cash, prizes, or points. And it enables esports tournaments for games that integrate its platform. And so he really just sees it as a massive, like he says, any mobile game. He thinks that this really provides capabilities for anybody. I was just listening to a call they had. Um, there's a really good investor call um, from when the merger was first announced and it's about 25 minutes. So if you have a chance, I'd really recommend going and listening to it because it tells you a lot about the company. Um, but one of the things he said is they found even a seven-year-old app developer that had done hand-drawn drawings and the seven-year-old app developer was using skills. And so um, they think it really is um, easy to use for lots of different people and that's important to them. Interesting. Uh, some things to note about the mechanics of it. Current skills stockholders, so that'll be like the founders, employees, investors in skills, and the SPAC have agreed to a 24-month lockup period following the acquisition. Um, that's long. Following the, yeah, it is long. I, I was trying to do a little bit of research and see if that's typical for SPACs, but from what I can tell, that is a long lockup period. Um, the public following this, like public shareholders, so people who own the FEAC right now, um, will own about 25% of the total company following acquisition skill, like the skills shareholders, the, um, the sponsor of the SPAC and private investments and public company, um, investors are going to own the other 75%. So it's, um, about 25% public ownership and 75%, uh, institutional and insider. All right. Well, I'll get to the valuation then. Uh, not much because they're unprofitable and they, I mean, the S4 that they send out doesn't um, have everything uh, that you'd want to look at, but they got some good numbers. You're looking at about a $4 billion valuation right now for holders of FEAC currently. Um, that's based on the $11.32 share price um, that FEAC is trading at. Apparently, this is 7.1 times projected 2022 revenues, although I kind of roll my eyes at that because like, come on, um, why are we talking about two years revenue? Let's talk about what you're doing now, but yeah. whatever, that's good. Uh, using the last six months as a proxy, FEAC is trading at about 19.5 uh, times sales, and that's the trailing number, so a little high, but revenue is growing at about 100%, so it's not crazy if they can keep that up. Their margin-adjusted EBD sales, which is um, enterprise value, and I guess in this case it's market cap, um, divided by, uh, or sorry, it's price to sales divided by sales growth and gross margin. That's only 23, which is quite low for all the companies that we typically do, although their gross margin is suspectingly high. It's like 94%, and I doubt that a company actually has um, cost of revenues at about 6% of sales, but if they do, um, that'd be pretty nice, right? Yeah, that'll cater right into my earnings, but uh, all these are basically the 2019 numbers. And let me just say, this was incredibly hard to find. Yeah, Like they did not make this easy at all, which may present some sort of inefficiencies. Like if investors struggle to get access to the numbers, maybe that'll be good. And the S4 is like 200 plus pages. It's, it's, it's a pain. Yeah, so if you go to the SEC's website, find FEAC, go to their S4 updated amended merger paper and go to page <laughs> yeah, yeah. 150, you will find their numbers where they had 120 million in revenue in 2019 growing at 136% year over year. 
they had an operating loss of 25 million, net loss of roughly 24 million, and the year prior they had 28 million in net losses. They're spending the bulk of basically all their operating expenses. 77% of all costs and expenses was spent on sales and marketing. So they're really aggressively trying to get this SDK essentially in the hands of developers. If I calculated it right, it looks like they have 95% gross margins. I would like to see a 10K of some sort describing like what goes into cost of revenue. Maybe get that audited, you know? Yeah. See what happens when that when that goes through. But it it I mean, if you think about the nature of the business, yeah, it's probably really high margin. And they expected at scale that they could have around 30% EBITDA margins. Um I think they mentioned that somewhere. I can't really remember where, but in the most recent quarter, they had 2.6 million monthly active users and 86% increase year over year. Uh, in 2020, they expected to power more than 2 billion tournaments. Their volume for the first six months of 2020 was $719 million, up 83% from the year prior. All really high growth numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And profitability, yeah. I mean, it looked, it looked like they're, Com, as most companies do that are nat naturally high margin, they are pouring a ton of money into scaling up fast. Yeah. And Ian, if you have any thoughts on that, go ahead, but then you can just roll right into the balance sheet and liquidity. Yeah. Well, like both you and Ryan said, um, not a whole lot of detailed numbers in some of these documents, but it looks like after the deal closes, they're expecting to have about $250 million in cash. Um, they say that's going to be used for working capital and increased marketing spend. So they seem to have plenty of room to use that money for organic growth and it looks like from kind of their last balance sheet um and how it's going to be amended after this merger it looks like it's going to be about 24 million dollars in liabilities so nothing wow. to worry about there yeah pretty pretty low uh easy task for you there um and then before we move to the second half we probably want to talk about uh our sponsor right oh, seven right. investing yeah uh, we always want to just re remind everyone that if you use our code CCM at checkout with seven investing, they give seven stock picks every month for the long term. Uh, same type of style that we run, you can get $10 off your first month. So that would be only $7 to try out your first month. And then you can see if you want to continue it from there. And um, we're getting a lot of, a lot of people are using the CCM code. So, so apparently maybe it's a good deal. A lot yeah. of people are really liking it and it seems like a no brainer. I mean, you're, getting the opportunity to buy the $17 a month subscription that is worth it in my opinion uh, at seven bucks a month. So it, yeah, that's, that's my sales pitch for you. Hope, hope you guys go sign up with CCM. Yep. And we'll hit the ad break and get to the second half. Cox panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, first up is competitive advantages. Ian, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. This is something that management talks about a little bit and it's the competitive nature of its content and so it really scratches that itch for a lot of people of being able to um do something and try and win a game and just that competition that people like 
And why I think it's a competitive advantage is because they see a lot of their competitors, not as people who are directly competitive with them in this industry, but actually people like Netflix, Twitter, Snapchat, those types of companies that are taking time of day away um, from you to do something else. And they find that their own metrics, because of this competitive nature of gaming, that people actually spend more time gaming on these mobile games and using um, apps that use skills rather than on Netflix or on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. And that's something that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they just can't compete with in the same way because it's not a competitive platform and skills just has a little bit of an inherent um, competitive advantage of competition. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think an N equals one stat here. Uh, I was like, well, I kind of want to download this thing, check it out, you know, play a few games, uh, maybe win a little bit of money. It's yeah. There's something much more addictive about the competitive nature compared to like a Netflix. Yeah. The concern on that end is you don't want it to be those type of deals where a kid is burning um, an entire <laughs> parent's credit card, $5,000 worth or something. So they probably got to put right. limits on that. Uh, but that's a good problem to have. And it's, it's pretty easy to solve. All right, Ryan, what do you have for you? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's regulatory barriers to entry. So like uh, like I said earlier, the CEO, that was like their main focus early on was basically making sure that they're all up to date with all the laws, all the legal requirements around it because it's really confusing. I mean, determining what's skill-based, what isn't, how many states have different caveats, getting out there. You have Apparently, they made themselves like a 100-page Bible on all the legal requirements for the internally inside the company. And then they also had to hire legal teams outside counsel. They went to someone in Boston who basically knew all about this part, and they outsourced that. So you need a lot of capital to start or a really good understanding of the legal grounds um, it, in each state, which is not easy to do. Yeah, and then until we get full federal, well, it, it's kind of a weird thing because with iGaming and sports betting and, and just gambling in general, uh, the, it's just tough because while the federal um, Supreme Court case got overruled, every state has to make up their own legislation, and that's just tough. You have to do 50 things plus any you know territories. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a barrier to entry because yeah. it, it's either capital intensive or time intensive to, you know, have all that stuff down. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely is. All right, I'll hit mine. Uh, it's very simple. They have a four-month user acquisition payback period. Uh, this is what they claim, but the numbers make sense given that they have uh, those low cost of revenue, then they've been able to grow revenue so quickly while only having, I think, 2.5 million users or 2.6 million users. So this allows them to fund their growth without having to take on a lot of debt or diluting shareholders with stock offerings because if the cohorts from 2016, 2017, 2018 are already profitable for them, and if it's even like four months ago, that all they have to do to burn is the four months like prior from the current time. And if they can just keep that up, they're never going to have to raise any outside capital, which concerns me that they're going public with a SPAC. Maybe it's an easy way to get a little bit of funding and be in the public markets, but why not do a direct listing? It seems like their balance sheet was fine. Um, they're pretty close to being break even. I don't know. What do you there was think? an interview with the CEO of skills on CNBC explaining why he went the SPAC route. And he was basically just, he said it was a quick, it was the quickest really? way to okay. do it. And it, it really sounds like he doesn't care to get in that weed, like in the weeds of the finances behind going public. And he right. wanted someone essentially to take care of it, which is what a SPAC does. If you're small and your focus is developing, yeah, let someone else basically take care of it. They'll take their fees and whatnot. But 
he seemed like it was the easiest route to go public. Right. And Ian, did you read anything about that or same as Ryan? Yeah, same stuff that Ryan was finding there. Okay. Uh, next up is future growth opportunities. Ian, I'll let you go first again. Sounds good. Um, one thing that I'm interested in is virtual and augmented reality. And as those types of apps become more prevalent, if skills can really capture a market of monetizing those apps. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of investing in those types of technologies just because there's not a lot of there there, right? There's nothing that's too exciting um, that people use every day in terms of augmented reality and virtual reality, in my opinion. But skills doesn't actually have to develop any of that type of stuff. They just get to benefit from it if it actually occurs. And so um, if there's really, you know, if another Pokemon Go comes along that has really great augmented reality, people love it and becomes a big game, skills could potentially um, help monetize an app like that and benefit from that growth. Right. And it's the thing, it's kind of like Unity where they don't need to come out with hit games. They just need to power the games. And then whatever ones are successful, um, that's where the revenue will go. Right. Yeah. And like you were mentioning earlier with the 20% Kager for mobile gaming, they're really, they're running an industry that's just growing faster and faster and and seemingly just going to become, I think it's now one of like the biggest um, gaming market in the world, actually mobile gaming. So yes, yes, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. What do you have? I have the social features. So they highlight this in the S4 and they seem to be investing, investing, excuse me, a lot of time on this. So they want to keep people chatting on the platform, probably like discord kind of, you know, they want people on there, you know, talking trash or whatever, or just making friends with people. And that's probably why they have so many um, minutes played per day. I think each user spends about 60 minutes per day, uh, or at least that was their 2019 users. So then keep people on the platform. Maybe they're under monetizing people right now, but in the future, um, the, the time spent on there, that's got to be valuable in some form or another. Yeah. I'll dig into mine then. Advertising is my future growth opportunity in their S4. Skill stated that only 10% of their monthly active users entered into paid contests in 2019. They said they plan to monetize the remaining 90% through non-intrusive, low-friction advertisements. That makes sense. I mean, not everyone's going to pay, but you can still sort of scrape value off those users. Yeah, the only downside, so yeah, this could help bring up um, each, you know, make each user more monetizable, but the clickbait ads, I'd hope they're not as bad as a lot of the mobile games because I find if I'm on a mobile game and the clickbait ads pop up, my user experience goes down. So that's, well, that's a give and take. Hey, it says non-intrusive. Non-intrusive. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's not as bad, right? Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Highlights and lowlights. Who wants to go first? Um, Ian, go ahead. Going sure. First I'll, go, I'll go for it again. Um, so I think the highlights is the mind share like we've been talking about. And you, you, know, you just mentioned they have over 60 minutes a day on the app for the average user, which is incredible to actually get that much time. Um, the thing I'm, I really like about it is they talk about how we're a democratizing factor of the mobile gaming industry and really letting, like even like they mentioned on their call, it's kind of a cherry pick story, but I think it's indicative of the brand is that even a seven year old developer can monetize his app. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing. And I think incredible growth, growing industry, a SPAC team that's done it before and actually had a successful merger. I think there are some questions about all, you know, there's so many SPACs being made right now. And I think people are a little bit worried, like, are all these going to be successful? Are they all going to go through? Are they going to merge with good companies? Are investors going to be left holding the bag? Um, This is a team that's done it before. They've already announced an acquisition. It looks like all that's going to be good. And um, 
And I'd say one low light for me is just the uncertainty. We don't have a lot of insight into, you know, whether that gross margin number is good or mm -hmm. exactly what their balance sheet's going to look like. And so, you know, I think because it's a private company, we just don't have as much of that information and we don't have a whole S1 that has a lot of detailed information. In yeah, it's, it's like a, it's not as bad as the EV specs. Um, when, I, when I say EVs, I mean electric vehicles. A lot of those are very frothy and seem, um, they're not guaranteed to be frauds, but it seems especially with Nikola, and then there's other ones some apparently people are still investing in. Those seem very risky, but there could be an opportunity where a lot of investors, you know, the majority maybe um, of investors that invest like us are throwing the baby out with the bathwater and something like FEAC or skills uh, could have that opportunity. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Yeah, highlights for me, I think people might be misunderstanding the business. I think a lot of people... Um, see it as like kids playing mobile games, spending a little money here and there. But this is something where like a 20 year old or a 25 year old who's really good at solitaire can make an extra 20 grand a year. Um, and that's, they, they can really, that's probably where you're getting the 62 minutes a day is people that spend an extra hour a day and make 15 to 20 grand a year um, betting on games they're really good at. And if you look at their top games, it's really like solitaire billiards dominoes um I, games i don't really play but they're more catered to an older audience um and then also it's really easy to implement apparently their software development kit into the games for developers like ian said um they're really giving small time developers an easy way to monetize what they're already doing Lowlights for me though, I don't like buying IPOs to begin with um, because I like usually seeing a few months under the belt as a public company. Get a, yeah, get a 10K out there. That's it, all we ask. It makes it a little tougher as well when it's a SPAC because I don't necessarily understand the, and there's probably answers to these questions, but it wasn't super apparent to me. Uh, who retains most of the equity? Uh, who has the voting power in the business? What are What's the skills executive team's incentives? Like, I, you know, who's winning here and yeah. it's not always clear when there's a spac because there's two parties that are essentially in charge and i might just not know the answer to that and there might be an answer out there but there's a lot of unanswered questions for me so like ian said a little bit of uncertainty yeah we probably want to see the proxy statement as well yeah. right ian would you agree i mean what's your thought yeah, for on sure spacs like do you want to wait until we get those audited documents out there or is that i yeah i think it's a it's a trade-off for investors that you know, if, if everything else is looking good to you and you're really excited about it, you know, maybe you do look at it and you say there's a little bit of an inefficiency here because all that information isn't public and I'm going to trust management, right? But it's definitely, you have to understand that if you're going to go ahead and invest now, it is riskier. You're paying, you're getting a little bit of a discount because not all the information is out there at, like it will be in, after a month or two of, or a quarter or two of some uh, financial documents. Right. All right. I'll finish up with mine. Um, I had those hours played again. I think we all agreed that was a great number. Uh, I like the monetization strategy. I think it's healthier, although they are doing some advertisements. It's healthier and you know, long-term could probably grow revenue in a sustainable fashion compared to just those clickbait ads on a lot of those easy mobile games. And I think that their growth on the revenue side, at least, has been fantastic. And it's one of those companies where you wouldn't be surprised if they grow at high double digits for the next five years. They have that opportunity in front of them. Um, and that's just a good thing to know when you're investing in a company that is priced um, like they are. And my low lights though, their 14% take rate is high. And that was just something I took from their gross market volume um, or merchandise, excuse me, going through and then dividing that by their revenue. Um, that is unaudited, um, but it's not like 
I don't know. It, it seems a little bit high. Like someone could come in, maybe Roblox, Unity can compete strongly with them here. I don't know if their moat is that strong. Uh, but they also, I don't know, no one's going to be coming in a startup and competing with them really easily. Um, I had the question about the direct listing, but I guess Ryan answered that. And then another low light, though, is 79% of the revenue comes from three games. Does that concern you guys at all? Did it say which three? It was the Solitaire one, the, the ones you named earlier. Um, maybe, uh, I, I don't think so. I think they have more of like, a Twitch-like business, maybe maybe I'm saying that wrong, but there's, it's really about people that think they can make money sustainably. It is a skill-based competition, not chance. So it's people that are really good at the games monetizing that. And I don't have any problem with them if like most of their players are on solitaire, most of their players are on dominoes. I'd rather have a few, maybe four or five games that are really, uh, how should I say, money drivers, um, for the business than a bunch spread out because they sort of have like the dynamite of their business in those. I don't know. It seems a little bit like what if the game becomes a lot less popular? That's just my big concern. That can happen. You know, games aren't around forever. There's only a few that make it there. Ian, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think some of these games that you're talking about though are kind of timeless games, dominoes, right. okay. solitaire. Um, and to me, the more important thing would be where this number is going directionally, not how big it is right now. I think right. if it, if it's still at 79% two years from now, that would tell me that they're not, that they haven't executed a good growth strategy because they haven't been able to get other popular games out there and to mo really monetize. But um, just having it at 79%, I get, I get the point, um, but it's not a huge red flag to me. Okay. That makes sense. All right. To wrap things up, are we more or less interested in skills after uh, talking about it today? Yeah. Uh, uh, Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Um, uh, more interested. I really like the business. I really wrote them off early on. People asked us to do this show. They were like, do a SPAC, do a SPAC. And it's harder to get, it, it's a lot more work on our end to get information, but I think it was worth it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really interesting business and it is really helping developers. It's um, like just a helpful platform in general, but there is a lot of gray area for me on the financial side. Like, not necessarily financial, but the funding side. I don't, there's just a lot I have to get through on a SPAC in general, as opposed to just a typical public company. Yeah, agreed. All right, Ian? Yeah, I'm more interested too. I'd never heard of the SPAC before we started talking about it and I hadn't heard of the company before. Um, so it was really interesting to me to dive in and learn a little bit about skills particularly. And for me, I love these companies that help other people make money and really help entrepreneurs make their lives better. And so things like Shopify, Square, Etsy, Fiverr, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, I think this falls in line with that where it really helps, helps entrepreneurs make their lives better. Yeah. And entrepreneurs in two senses, because there's the, uh, the, the software developers can more easily monetize their platform. And then the players that they use this as them. a money driver can make money that way as well. Yeah. That yeah. they're, they're double excited. Yeah, I am more interested. I think it falls into the basket. I even make a niche gaming one of the basket that you were talking about, Ian, of Unity, Roblox, and um, and I know Roblox isn't public, and then Epic Games isn't public yet, but they're probably going to be soon. Um, and then you know, skills they help developers, and they kind of they're able to not be reliant on these hit games that the development um, companies are, the studios are, and that's a little bit more risky, but if they can have the platform where all the developers want to be 
and all of the users want to be, that can, I mean, it seems nice. I know all these companies are probably going to be priced to a premium and that's something you got to consider here, but at least on a company's sake, um, I'm definitely more interested. All right. We're good to go. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Use our promo code CCM at checkout for seven investing to get $10 off your first month. Great deal that we're doing with our partnership there. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Give us show recommendations on Twitter to talk about for any of the future episodes. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode.